at Jared. We know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. Blog Talk Radio. Which, 
I understand. I agree in in a, in a lot of that, but also now things are starting to change, especially in our culture a lot. I mean, I'm telling you, I, the more I look at the overall landscape of sports, you know, in ten years, twenty years from now, men's soccer, you know, all these track and field uh, sports are going to be they're going to become a little bit more mainstream than they have. And I think this is a good it's a good track that Syracuse is on. Not only, you know, do they have a football program that uh competes at a high, you know, competes in a good conference, they have a basketball program that seems to be I feel he's gonna be competing high. Now they get the men's soccer team, which hey, if soccer's the next big thing, uh in America, uh right now Syracuse is on the right side of it. So that's really good. And all the other sports too. So it's, it's hey, it, people We'll eventually start paying attention, I think, especially the, the, the younger generation of fans that start moving through. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree there. And, and I've said this for years, too. Like, as much as we might joke about it, Daryl Gross here and there, at the same time as an you know, athletic director, I think he's really done a much better job of, of promoting the entire athletic department and really, you know, growing all these sports for us and, and obviously, we, we've had to get talented coaches, talented athletes, and we've done that. And, it, and it's great to see us, um, especially in a very tough soccer conference with ACC, um, you know, compete right away. And then to see us do, you know, in cross country, we win two straight um, conference titles uh, is, is a really great start for us um, as a program in a new conference. And right now, in cross country, we're ranked third in overall. Um, in the nation, so it's great to, again, you know, great to see those sports. I mean, obviously, at the end of the day, um, it may not pay the bills right now, and, and, and it would be nice if we got a little bit more out of um, out of our revenue. Yeah, but, but we're getting there. Yeah, and, and, I mean, yeah, it's well, not as if we're not. You can go, Jared. Well, these sports, too, they, they create bigger fan bases, too. I mean, they in the sense that you get kids who are good athletes that come to your school, you know, and obviously if these kids, you eventually get more money pumped into the athletic departments, and that's what you want. I mean, that's overall, you want everything to be strong because, you know, if the men's soccer program's good and the, cross, the track and field's good, the, the women's hockey team's good, if they're good, then they can, at a certain point, they can start, funding themselves a little bit more, and then you can focus other assets at certain things, such as, you know, football or basketball and other. It doesn't have that, that money doesn't have much of a trickle-down effect, especially if everything's good. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's a good thing, especially, and John, I don't know how things are over, you know, in California, but especially in central New York, the way the sports landscape's kind of switching, um, football High school football, it, it will always be around, but it is definitely declining in a lot of areas. Uh, I mean, it's, it's always going to be strong in the, in the more populated areas where they can get the numbers. Um, but in my area where I live, I live near the Ithaca, New York area, um, high school teams, yeah, my, my high school didn't have a football team this year. Just numbers were down. Couldn't field the football team. Other schools around our area have had issues for years. Um, fielding football teams and our soccer program has been fantastic. Our track and field and our cross country teams are fantastic. Uh, it's just the way sports are switching, especially in some of these 
northern areas where football isn't, I mean, football isn't as huge as it is in, in, in the south, you know. So it, it, it may be a good focus for Syracuse. That it's, it's always good to be number one in the nation, though, right? I mean, it never be a bad thing. Yeah, I mean, I'm all about it. I've always been a fan of a complete athletic program approach, not just focusing on a couple of different sports. So, again, great stuff. But uh, now we do have to focus back on the, uh, the big money sports. We start with football. Um, seems like there's a lot of split opinions on today's uh, announcement that uh, the Tim Lester was going to be brought back on as a coordinator in 2016. Um, what was your initial reaction, Jared? I know, like I said, I know the site has kind of been split um, in the comments section, but uh, what was your uh, what was your first reaction? Well, I think my first reaction is I don't, I don't I have no problem, I guess, with Lester. If I, I the biggest issue I have with the news is the timing of the news. Like I don't understand. You know, we have still there's still three games left in the season. Um, I understand that maybe if I don't know, I didn't hear how the question was asked to Schaefer uh, during the teleconference where he kind of slipped up and broke this news, as you could say. Um, so I can understand maybe Schaefer trying to have confidence, like build confidence in Luckert, saying, you know, he's going to be here for a long haul and all that stuff. But to say that he's going to be here next year when there's still three games to be played. Um, is really questionable to me in the sense that, like, you know, if, if the offense is still stinking, and I understand it's not his offense or what Schaefer said, uh, but if it is still stinking by the end of the year um, and we don't get any more wins, I mean, people are going to be asking for a change. And that just goes on the whole offensive side of the ball. Because, you know, we have all the confidence in the world that Schaefer and the defense is going to do what it's going to need to do. It's the offensive side that's going to need the changes. And already he's saying there's going to be no change, which I, I would think that at least heading into the offseason, that would be one thing you would address um, overall or at least, you know, look at, you know, every offseason you just go in and you analyze things and kind of break where we need to improve. And, of course, I would think one of the things that the football team would do is look at, the offensive side of the ball and say, all right, well, let's see who we can bring in here for interviews or test the waters here or there to see who we possibly could get. And if we can't get them, then we're all right with Lester being uh, the offensive coordinator. But just to do it in matter of factly and say that Lester's going to be here, it's just the timing's very, very odd to me. I don't think it was a very good, uh, good way to handle things as a head coach when it came to the Schaefer. Yeah, I'm absolutely in the same boat, and I think Dan has expressed similar. Um, I think Sean did, too, so to a lesser degree. Um, I was very, very confused by the timing here. Um, and, and you know what? It's funny because, of course, this is just how the Internet works. Nobody reads Nobody reads the article. Everyone just kind of goes, oh, right, 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 you right, one. Yeah, like you're already calling. I mean, and to be honest, my headline was, Tim Lester brought back the 2015. So I, I, I did express some concern, and I expressed concern for the same reasons that you just brought up. It's not that I think he shouldn't be back. It's that what has he proven through four games to, to, to bring him back? It, it's not to say that, that he can't, you know, completely, you know, show these worth a job or that, like, either 
between now and the end of the season or in the off season. But yeah, I don't understand why you would take yourself out of um, out of the race to maybe br- bring in, you know, some some more some bigger names, some more talented names. Not to again, not to hate on Lester, but just to say, you know, why are we ruling out everybody else when Lester Lester's performance is yet to indicate that that the job's hit. Not to say it can't, but to say that right now that there's very little for me, like people saying, you know, oh, well, he's better than what McDonald was doing. What McDonald was doing was just bad. So to saying that, that it was better than bad is, is not saying much, I guess, in my book. Yeah, I guess this goes to back to my thoughts. Originally when Donald was hired number one and then when he was fired number two, meaning when he was McDonald was hired, I you know, I, I initially thought this, I think a lot of people on the site, I know Sean had the same kind of feeling was it like the McDonald hire his offensive coordinator was to get him in because he was a fantastic recruiter. So not only could he get the talent that we wanted to get, um, but two, there was a chance that he could be a fantastic offensive coordinator. So that also and it might have been more of a Daryl Gross kind of, you know, input there where he was, you know, looking at shakers like, all right, you got the defense, assemble your coaching staff, but there's a chance that we could get this guy who can not only recruit, but he could also be an offensive guru. And obviously that didn't happen or hasn't happened at Syracuse. Um, so then Schaefer was fine with moving on. Like, hey, all right, McDonald, we're moving on. Now I want my guy who I initially probably would have hired as the offensive coordinator to get his chance because I think I owe it to him to give him and his opportunity. And this is kind of like that Doug Marone type of mentality when he took Nate Hackett with him to Buffalo. And it's sort of like, I'm going to live and die by the guys that I hire. That's, you know, I mean, they've been there for me the whole time. I've been, you know, going through the trenches at the MAC to get the job that I have now. And, you know, they were there side by side with me. And now, you know, he's there with me. He's gone through all this. And I want him there. And, you know, with whether or not he fails or not, is it's my call. So this is how we're going to do things. And I can respect that in one way. But in another way, when you look at the overall production of the program and the offense, you have to evaluate it all the way through. And to me, this just this just needs the right move at the right time, or at least the right announcement at the right, not, right time. Uh, at least give the impression that you're looking outside the box to start, and then if you want to decide to bring Lester back, that's fine. But it just doesn't seem he's he's doing that. He's just sticking to his guy and wants to give him a chance. So I guess that's what the, the announcement was today. Yeah, I mean, for me, I, I'm prone to look at things from a marketing PR standpoint just because of what I do during the day. So for <laughs> me, it, it, you know, it, it kind of, it kind of reeks of, you know, just like like you just said, these are my guys, and I'm sticking with them. But from a PR standpoint, it would have been much to be smarter, more strategic to wait until the season was over and you actually have a resume of results to base that decision on. I mean, just like people are saying, you know, don't throw, you know, don't throw Lester under the bus yet. Let's see, let's see if this is like what he can really do. On the other side of that coin, okay, so. If we don't know what he's going to, what he can do yet, and we haven't really seen a full package of what he can do, why are we making this decision now? 
like I I I just I'd like to see us evaluate some some other options and you know it, it is disappointing not to say again that, that I wouldn't be happy with Bluster as offensive coordinator. I just think that evaluating some options um, outside of you know this this sort of immediate coaching tree that we have here um, wouldn't be the worst thing in the world just in terms of of showing Syracuse as a program that they can get involved in those conversations. And the one thing we saw uh, with coaching hire um, of Schaefer and then with the, you know, subsequent hires of all of his, um, you know, friends who he'd met in other positions is that Syracuse really wasn't going to engage in any sort of, um, you know, battle to get big names and all that. And that's, if you're winning, nobody cares whether it was a big name first or not. If you're not, and that's the case right now, it becomes a bigger issue. And I think that, like, Syracuse really, again, should, should just be able to show it can wade into those waters and, and search for some bigger names and try to, you know, grab some guys who might, you know, either be a little bit more proven or be a hot commodity name. Like, it's just, again, it's confusing to me why, why this announcement happens with, with a month to go in the regular season. And, and and a struggling campaign so far. Now, with that said, that Blaster should be back. I know you wrote an article uh, this week. Your breakdown of the play calling was uh, came, or came out today, or was it yesterday that it, you did it? And so, I mean, I obviously I didn't get a chance to skim through it um, through the NC State game. I know you know I had some questions about what they did in the late game situations, but. Um, you've seen Lester through like the last couple of games. Is it looking better on your end, or is it just about the same as it was? The, Play the right. tough part is, well, yes, the tough part is because of the the fact that it's only four games. It's such a small sample size. You look at the fact that we have faced, you know, Florida State and Clemson in that time span, um, and plus the injuries. Like, it, it's, and then this is what I brought up in the article, too. Like it wasn't to throw Western to the bus, but it was to say, like, hey, like, I understand the issues here, and I understand everything stacked against him. I'm not saying that he should have done more with what he was given. I'm saying that we don't know. We haven't been proven yet if he can or can't do more with what he's given, better, for better or for worse, you know? So I think, like, looking at what he's done this past week, like, I don't know how much you attribute to Long just being able to make plays or how much you attribute to to Lester, I think there's certain aspects of the, the, the you know, game plan that, that do work and play to the strengths of, of, of Long in particular. But I think a pass-happy offense, um, when your quarterback's just, you know, completely and utterly, you know, besieged by pressure the entire game um, and pretty much has no blocking, um, seems, seems like it, it, it's not the right way to go, especially when, you know, NC State's, uh, rushing defense was, was not great coming into that game. And to see us really, you know, just avoid the run outside of um, a lot of emphasis on Prince Tyson Gully, which I've brought up numerous times now in the past couple of weeks, it's just like a, a not great decision to just lean on one back when we have five guys. Um, it, it just seems to me like there's some questionable decisions. There's also some good ones, but there's some questionable ones that give me pause um, in terms of how effective this offense can really be. And of course, Schaefer said it today, too, that, you know, this isn't Lester's offense. This is not really the offense that Lester would design. So it's kind of 
it's intriguing to see what Lester is going to design for next year when he's got a full off season. Uh, but but that he their alpha also also hasn't implemented maybe you know dabs and drips here and here and there of Lester what Lester's philosophy is. But Schaefer did basically say that they're still running McDonald's offense. It's just Lester trying to execute it as a coach, right? Right, and like I, I'm fine if it's not his scheme, and I get it. But I don't know. I, I guess to me, there is just a certain amount of, and, and you know what? I haven't been all that critical of Lester in the big scheme of things. I, I think to me, I just really want to see if he, like, if he can show improvement even if he's functioning, like, with this scheme. Like, this scheme obviously has some, some benefits compared to the old one. But the big plays versus regular plays, I mean, so the, the numbers that stood out to me the most were, you know, last week against Clemson, um, 2.66 yards per play. This week, 4.37 yards per play. Like, there still aren't great numbers. Um, we had 17 big plays this past week. Um, so those are plays that gained 10 yards or more. Um, and those were 302 over 345 yards of offense. So that means, I mean, and this is something I broke down the article too, the other 62 plays that we ran on top of those 17, just .69 yards per play. So for three straight weeks now, that number, if you take away the big plays, has been steadily decreasing um, to a point where now we're not even averaging a full yard per play when you take away big plays. Big plays are great. They score touchdowns, they provide excitement, but if you're not moving the ball outside of those plays, you know, you're basically your home run hitter who strikes out when every time he doesn't hit it over the fence, you know? Right, yeah, I understand. Yep. And so that that is a little bit concerning. Especially, no, that's, that's a little concerning in the sense that we do have a crap ton of running backs that we probably could utilize in the sense, you know, if you're talking about sustaining drives here and there. But, I mean, if you look at the overall picture with the quarterback and the wide receiver situations and the offensive line and all that, I mean, yes, there's excuses there. But I guess what bothers you and I, we've talked about this, especially after the Clemson game, was excuses, excuses are always there. You can always have excuses. But you shouldn't, as a program, you should, or as a fan base, you should have expectations in the sense that when Clemson plays as bad as they did, like we didn't need to play very well to beat Clemson. I'm sorry, folks, and we didn't. And NC State was pretty much garbage the whole game. Their offense really, I mean, they scored two touchdowns, but, man, it was a lot of costly plays at the end of the game that really, I mean, just bone him to think. I mean, we just... If we're straight conservative through the whole second half of that game, we'd probably win it uh, by a score of maybe two, uh, depending on, you know, how everything works out. But instead, uh, it's just Syracuse killed themselves, and that's just – and they lost to – I'm sorry, an inferior team. NC State is not – they beat Syracuse on the road, but it just seemed to me on uh, Saturday they just, you know, handed that game over, and that was very discouraging. Yeah, I think what frustrates fans about this team, I think probably even more so than than the Greg Robinson era teams, um, than even like the 2011 collapse, was 
this is the first year of just literally a full season of shoulda, woulda, coulda. Things that probably should have transpired didn't. The injuries stacking up the way they did. The coaching change on the offense. I mean, you look down the list of scores, I mean, you know, 34-20 in a game where if Syracuse had really just been able to execute in the red zone, that was a win. 31-15 in a game against a top-10 ranked team that we forced five turnovers and couldn't punch it in. Even a game like Louisville that was lopsided, the final score, 28-6. Red zone execution, different story. Florida State did not bring their best game against us, beat us, fine. Like, Clemson didn't bring their A game. I doubt it they even brought their B game. <laughs> like, NC State <laughs> yeah. like, yeah. NC State looked like a hot pile of garbage all day on offense. Like, you go down the list, and, and, and I don't think we've seen a season like this where um, so many close games, so many opportunities to win, and yet every single time it was a loss except for the Villanova game. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I mean, it's just, it's just, and I, I guess that's a more concerning thing is we understand that there's a lot of issues going on in on the Syracuse side of the ball when it comes to injuries, and but now you look at the talent, and then you're always concerned of like, all right, well, what's going to happen next year? Because you know, entering this season, there was a lot of stability, so we thought, right? I mean, there was a lot of stability. We knew the schedule was going to be tough, but we thought there was a couple games here and there that we could sneak out. And obviously you don't know what's going to transpire throughout a whole season. I mean, um, make or break play or here or there or injuries or, what, you know, whatever it is uh, it leads to where we are now with Syracuse 3 and 6. But, um, I mean, entering next season, uh, it doesn't really, I mean, I guess you could say, I would say it doesn't matter really what happens from here on out. I mean, the only re- I, the only way we could probably see Syracuse making it to a bowl, continuing the season on, with good vibes, is if the defense continues to play out of their mind and, um, you know, scores a touchdown per game. And that's one thing we didn't see at NC State. We didn't get in the score from the defense. but um, And then the offense at least not being, like, crippled, and at least doing something that – um, you know, scoring some points and not turning the ball over and allowing the other team to just have gimme points. Um, and But, you know, so many things need to fall in line for that to happen. Uh, it just doesn't seem like it's going to. And even if, like I said, even if it does, heading into next year, there's so much, there's so many question marks about what's going to happen. Uh, you know, when it comes to the quarterback, uh, you know, the offensive line is going to be pretty much new guys coming in. We're losing a lot of talent on the defensive end. So, I mean, I mean, that's, I guess that's, you know, the biggest overall discouraging thing is you always look at the opportunities that were lost this year um, that Syracuse should have had in a year that they should have been an upswing. And then next, like the following year, you're like, all right, that was sort of a rebuilding year. But, you know, this year has just been a total – Disappointment, and the next year you have no idea what you're, what you're going to get. Yeah, I think that's, you know, and we've kind of talked about it, like, in the comments today, is that, you know, what can you expect? I mean, uh, Matt McCluskey's story, I think, was a good jumping-off point for that, uh, of, you know, what now, what next? Like, what is next? 
there's just a lot of there's a lot of uncertainty now because even with maybe an easier schedule next year and more stability and hopefully less injuries and, and a swing of the pendulum luckwise back in our direction, um, we're looking at a team that's going to be losing a lot of its um, experience. Uh, I mean, you got guys like Garrett West gone. You have a good portion of the offensive line gone. You have two of our three starting linebackers gone. And this suddenly becomes, okay, like with that opportunity that we could have had next year, now is that another rebuilding year? And if it is another rebuilding year, how much longer do you give this this staff to to get it together? Um, it's it's frustrating for fans, as you know. Like if we finish the season three and nine, it's not going to be the same three and nine that we had under Greg Robinson. It's going to be going to be a, a sad three and nine. It's going to be a frustrating and, and aggravating and and pining for what could have been three and nine. And that's that's I guess you know. It's territory that we haven't really seen in a while as a fan base, and I'm just kind of curious about, you know, like Matt X, like what's next, like what now, like what do we, how do we deal with this, with this season the way it's probably going to play out, and and on top of that, you know, how do we how do we deal with, but then what happens what happens after that, and how do we adjust expectations? I mean, the only good thing about heading into the next year with low expectations is you're not. I mean, we always talk about expectations. Sean's written, since I've been a part of the news edition crew, Sean's wrote multiple articles about expectations. I've written a, a couple of articles about expectations. Uh, they just make a break of season. So if you go in with low expectations and they win, you know, they make a bowl next year or somehow, some way. Everybody's back in the high horse. So, I mean, just that's just the way things go. It ebbs and flows quite a bit, uh, especially around Syracuse football, that's for sure. Agreed. I'll take yeah. that as a cue for a uh, little halftime read, if you, uh, if you don't mind. Figure I'd give a shout-out to uh, our sponsor yet again, Audible.com. They're a leading provider of spoken audio entertainment and information. Um, and they have a lot of cool books that you can listen to instead of read, if that's your thing. Um, you can go to audibletrial.com slash noonsmagician. Get yourself a free audio book and a one-month free trial of the service. Um, and shout-out to our uh, upcoming football opponent, Duke. I'm going to talk about one of their books about their basketball team. Um Tales from the Duke Blue Devils Locker Room, a collection of the greatest Duke basketball stories ever told, written by Jim Summer. Um, basically, if you are... Uh, sorry, Jim Sumner. My apologies. If, you, uh, if you're tired of hearing ESPN tell you all about all the great things about Duke, you can now listen to somebody else do so. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's one thing you could get on audible.com this month. I'm sure you're going to go right out and order that, John. Immediately. <laughs> but, uh, so, I mean, is there a, are we going to dive into Duke quick? Yeah, we, I, you, I, I feel like we have to. I, okay. I'm, I'm sure it's not the number one thing that everyone wants to do is think about a game against a ranked team and there's just a lot going on. But you know what? Screw it. Uh, Duke, the good thing, you get to watch last week. Yeah, uh, I did. I, I don't know if last week. I didn't. I do know 
Then I took a Duke with the points last week, and I got it. So that was uh, it was a three-way game, though, back and forth, double overtime. Uh, credit to Pitt for kind of hanging on, especially after last week, the, the, the week prior to where they had the five turnovers completely out of the game. You know, within the first, you know, nine minutes of the, that contest, they come back out. Uh, Heinz Field has been proven to be a, a place where it's very tough to, for a lot of people to win, not even in college but the pros, just because you just never know what you're going to get with that field. Uh, and it's just it's just a weird place for people to play. And, uh, no, it was interesting, like, especially in the, how high scoring it was uh, in the defense, which doesn't bode well, I guess, for Syracuse because – I mean, again, like, unless your defense shows up really well um, and gets a lot of turnovers and maybe turns one of those turnovers into a score, uh, it could you know it could be one of those games where you get right out of the building pretty quick, or you know you're hanging on, hanging on, hanging on, and all of a sudden Duke busts it open uh, because they're pretty pretty solid offensively. Um, I mean, looking at their, I mean, John, you you look at this team. There's a bunch of games, and they scored over 30 points, sometimes 50 points, sometimes 40 points. Uh, the only loss comes to Miami at Miami. Uh, so, I mean, this team's, team's pretty good. I mean, obviously they play in the ACC division that's uh, not so good. So, I mean, if they can catch teams at the right time, they can get some victories. And they do score points, which a lot of teams, uh, a lot of those teams in that uh, coastal division do not. Uh, that's one thing that Duke's got going for them this year is they're scoring points while not many other teams in that division are or they can't. Uh, so it, that's that's one thing Syracuse has got to figure out. And that's maybe one thing that's going to help Syracuse is, you know, Duke is very offensive-minded. offensive, offensive minded. So if Syracuse can find a way to make their defense the biggest strength in the game um, and their offense – you know, finds a way to get some points on the board and not kill themselves, you know, they got a chance for an upset. Anything can happen. Yeah, I mean, when you look at Duke, you see four underwhelming games to start. I mean, all wins, but... And it's not to discredit four straight wins because Syracuse hasn't been able to string those together in quite some time. Um, but you look at four what? wins against underwhelming opponents. What, what do you mean? Like okay. Elon, Troy, Kansas, and Tulane to start the season? Is this a... A, you know, a way to test yourself? Is that what you're saying? I, I mean, I, I would think that that would be a great way for a program trying to get its sea legs again for, for a decade now. That would be a perfect way for them to start off the season. Look at I, wonder, I, wonder, I, wonder what program, I wonder what program I'm talking about. One that, yeah, could, that could maybe benefit from easy scheduling. Um, other team. Oh, I was looking at... Um, we're talking about easy scheduling. By the way, did everybody know that Maryland is qualified for a bowl this year already? And if you look at their schedule, it is freaking like it's just awful. I mean, they've played James. This is Maryland. James Madison, South Florida, Syracuse, Indiana. They should have probably lost the Syracuse game. Indiana. They did beat Iowa, which is a good win, and then they beat Penn State to become bowl eligible. So literally, they coasted their way. And then, of course, they have Michigan State coming up, Michigan and Rutgers that to end the season. So they're going to they're gonna probably end up eight-win team with four losses, and their schedule is dreadful. And that's pretty much how Duke's season is going to end up, right? I mean, that's they have Syracuse, Virginia Tech, North Carolina, Wake Forest. They're more than likely going to have 11 wins, one loss, and they haven't been tested once. 
Yeah, and I mean, this is this is kind of why a lot of people are talking about wish that Syracuse was in the coastal. There's just in general the the, the call for Syracuse to stop stop scheduling itself out of you know out of mediocrity. There's there's an easy easy. I mean, look at look at 2012. Um, probably the best Syracuse team in a decade. Um, if that team hadn't had to go through such a gauntlet of a schedule. Um, you know, that's probably a 10-win team. That team, if, if a couple of things had bounced a different way, where it was a 10-win team. I mean, and yeah. that's the frustrating thing, is that we just keep putting ourselves in holes. And while Duke, I mean, Duke has is, is done it the way that, I mean, they're winning games. Don't get me wrong. They're winning games. Um, and they're beating teams, quality teams. I mean, Georgia Tech is a quality team. Um, I mean, they lost to Miami. Virginia's defense is pretty stout. Pitt is a decent 500-ish team, but like, there's a lot here that that is a product of them understanding the limitations, scheduling accordingly, and now look, like you said, this is this could be an 11 and one team, which is insane when you think about just Duke and, and the state of Duke football even a couple of years ago, and now we're talking about potentially their second straight 10 win season. Uh, an 11-1 campaign that sends them to the ACC title game again, and maybe even if they lose, it still sends them to the Orange Bowl. I mean, this Duke team is is better than probably advertised, but at the same time, like there's there's some reasons to doubt, if only because they play so many different styles of football as we've seen over and over again this year, and, and none of them can really be really be banked on for this Saturday. Yeah, and I was looking at the uh, my parlay sheet today, and it seemed that the it was pretty much a pick'em game going into the game. So uh, I don't know what the and let me look here real quick to see if they got on the score or what the overall what do they get the points for that for this game? It's pretty much pick'em for what I had. Do they have it? They have Duke minus three. On the Syracuse on the ESPN website, so um, which is, I mean, they always say what three points for a home team, and so it's they're almost a touchdown favorite. You could say overall, be um, heading into the game out on the road. Which honestly, I mean, you would I would thought that would have been more, right? I mean, I said this when I was posting the odds thing the other day. Like, I, I didn't really. I didn't understand that the very short line. I mean, I maybe people like AJ Long. Maybe they don't trust Duke. I mean, I, I wouldn't doubt oddsmakers uh, on not trusting Duke. Um, I guess if you think Duke will beat us by a touchdown, and they haven't beaten anyone by more than a touchdown since Tulane in September, so I mean, I guess if you, if you think they'll beat them by more than a touchdown by seven points, and you know you take off the three point or so home field swing for Syracuse, that's about four and a half, three and a half, depending. So, yeah, I, I, like, I get the logic for, I get the logic for Vegas to, to set the line where they have, and, I mean, it, it's odd to pick them at this point, but um, I, I, I get the logic behind it, but it's still, like, you have to, that the, that the little number next to Duke's name means something at some point. Yeah, and Duke is an overall program, especially, I mean, kudos to Kirk Cliff for doing what he's doing. I mean, 
and give them all the credit in the world. I mean, they, Duke is winning games uh, in the ACC, um, and they've been contending for a bunch of years now. They had a good season last year. I'm just going through their schedule for a couple of years. I mean, they they were six and seven in 2012. Another solid season last year at ten and four. But again, I'm looking at their. Uh, their schedule last year, not quite impressive. Again, so that helped them out. Uh, they did beat Miami last year, but then Miami is a very good team. Virginia Tech has been a very good team for years now. Um, and, that, and that Coastal Division is just really helping them out. They're the class act of the Coastal, that is for sure, right now. Yeah, I mean, you know, and for that reason, I mean, yes, Coastal's kind of a shit show, but at the same time, like, I'll give them credit here. Um, the office has been kind of hot and cold for about a month now. I mean, for some reason, every time they're in Pittsburgh face one another, uh, both teams put up like 45 plus. Um, but despite like a, a, you know, Cutcliffe's always been known as kind of a pass first guy. I mean, a lot of these Duke teams have, have been pass first, but this team's really gotten by uh, incredibly well on on the run game, which I think was the most notable thing for me. I mean, uh, you know, Sean Wilson. Uh, and Shaquille Powell, uh, both of them have really just been high-quality backs. I mean, Wilson, this is how you run a, a, a backfield by committee, too, is something that we should be taking cues from. I mean, Wilson's carried the ball 55 times for 528 yards. He's got almost a 10 yards per carry average. Um, and Shaquille Powell got a couple more carries, less yards, still 5.4 average. Like, if you have these types of players, and and we have five of them, if you have these types of players in your backfield, I, I just feel like you do a better job, um, you know, really putting putting those guys out the field and, and, and not turning talented players like Morris and McFarlane and uh, and Eric Phillips into ghosts for pretty much no reason whatsoever. Yeah, but their quarterback, Anthony Boone's been pretty solid for them this year. Um, and he has been for the last couple. Of, I mean, couple. I mean, if you have solid quarterback play, it's really each of the. I mean, makes the running game a whole lot better too. I mean, that's one thing Syracuse hasn't really had this. Yeah, if you're comparing teams and saying, well, the Syracuse should utilize you know the running backs, but you know when you're not getting good quarterback play, uh, it's pretty easy for the defenses to you know kind of stack the line because they're not they're they're not scared of your quarterback. That's for sure. And at least you know balanced offensively when it comes to that. They do run and pass it pretty well. well I think Boone, I mean, Boone is a legitimate uh, running threat. While he, he kind of came up in the system uh, being a a really legit running threat and a nice change of pace when Sean Renfrey was there, um, I think now he, he has taken the bull by the horns as a starter. He doesn't necessarily, like, he does what he needs to do to win. I think he is more as a passer. I think he's more of a game manager. Um but in terms of, you know, dynamicism on the ground, I think he's done a fantastic job using his legs smart while also ceding to, you know, they got three capable running backs with Thomas Cirk, he's a backup uh, quarterback. And Cirk has actually run for seven touchdowns this year. He's done a great job um, coming in relief um, here and there. He's kind of using some offset, um, you know, formations uh, once they get closer to the goal line. But, yes, I mean, this team just seems like they understand how to do it. They really spread the wealth. They they are a complete offense. They have, you know, similar types of weapons to Syracuse. 
and yet it seems like they just they just know how to deploy them uh, much more effectively. Obviously, when you have an offensive mind like Cutcliffe, um, that's going to help. But but this team truly does understand on the offensive end, um, you know, how to use its sort of just depth of, of, of talent, even if no one's a, a perceived blue chipper, just understand how to deploy that really well. I agree. I mean, you, you do know the AC a little bit more than I have. I've watched it here and there this year. Um, but I've just, honestly, I haven't watched a, a complete game of Duke. I'm just, you know, looking from what I saw last week and then games, you know, dropping in there now. So, I mean, it's going to be a tough, tough game for Syracuse. I mean, it's nothing one that uh, they can't pull out like we've seen the rest of the uh, weeks, but, you know, recent history shows us that uh, it's just, it's probably not going to work out in their favor, just the way things are going right now. No, absolutely. I think the one thing, the one place that, and I know that Syracuse can't really score, but the one place where Syracuse does have some opportunities here is, I think, you know, in, in this, uh, on the offensive end, I think that Duke is his bend but don't break um, defense. And I think we saw, saw a power running attack, you know, really exploit it um, in the pit game. I think James Conner, obviously, is a more talented back than anyone on our roster right now. But, you know, Conner really just killed them um, last week. And, you know, opponents... You know, opponents overall have really been able to gain a ton of first downs uh, via run. In 107 uh, first downs on the ground uh, this season, which is which is a pretty decent sized number. So this is something that um, I think Syracuse really needs to pay attention to and look at, and you know maybe test that then, but not break theory and see if Duke will break. I mean, they're not they're not overly big or fast um, on the defensive front, and I think that really plays to our advantage. Um, but again, it's have to hope that that we avoid just just throwing uh, just throwing AJ Long out there and telling him to throw forty passes again. It's just not really not really smart. It's it's just not <laughs> not really to our advantage. And, and and this is also a team that doesn't really force turnovers either. So we have a golden opportunity here, and but it might take some offensive firepower and and some instances of us really you know pushing the tempo and trying to put up. 30 points. Now, do you want to get predictions for this game, or do you want to uh, kind of uh, agree that uh, there's hope for our victory here, and, you know, but uh, we obviously say we don't count on it. And then quickly touch upon the new playoff rankings that just came out before we hopped on the the podcast. Yeah, I'm all about it. Um, I agree with you on that. I think that... uh, I don't think Syracuse will win, but that said, I think they have golden opportunities, like they have in just about every game this season, um, to win. But you know, we'll see. I I, I hold out some, some hope, and uh, yeah, I guess we'll just see what happens. All right. For those that haven't checked up, or probably it's like if you're in the morning listening to podcasts or after this, college football playoff rankings, and I'm pretty sure I got this right from what he is doing that day. So. Mississippi State's number one, Florida State's number two, uh, Auburn, Oregon fill out the top four. So they're in the playoffs. 
and then Alabama, TCU, Kansas State, Michigan State, Arizona State, Notre Dame, Ole Miss falls all the way to 11, uh, Baylor, Nebraska, Ohio State, Oklahoma, and then LSU kind of rounds up the top 16, as you could say. The rest of the teams below that don't probably have a chance in hell getting back into the race. So uh, I like the top four, uh, John, and I think it's going to be cool. I mean, there's that Auburn, Alabama set up right for everybody. So it's, I, I agree with the top four right now, so that's kind of cool. Uh, but I also see uh, possibly Michigan State sneaking in there eventually. Uh, TCU, I love their story. I love watching them play football, but, man, they can't play any defense. So eventually I think they're going to get beat by someone. Uh, it could be this week right against Kansas State. I don't think those big small teams are going to get in there. I really don't. Uh, but uh, Mississippi State, Florida State, Auburn, Oregon, I like that right now. Yeah, I think based on what we're – I think based on what we've seen, um, the top four do make sense. Uh, I, I would I would assume that there was a lot of contentious debates um, about Mississippi State and Florida State. There is – I think Florida State, while, while it has had some tight wins, it does have – you know, wins some real quality wins over over Louisville, over Notre Dame, and over Clemson. Um, and I think those those could go toe to toe with some of what Mississippi State's done. Um, I, I think that Auburn has probably the best wins um, resume wise of anyone, um, and, and that would be you know Kansas State on the road and Ole Miss on the road. I think that Ole Miss game was it was painful to watch that ending. Uh, and it's a shame that things went down that way, but yeah. a win's a win, and Auburn took it. Uh, so I, I think that they they right now have the best cards in their hand. Um, of course, there's still you know the best part about this when people are complaining about the SEC West presence here is that there there are elimination games. Um, right, Auburn Alabama right. is an elimination game. Mississippi State and Alabama is an elimination game in many ways. Um, this TCU Kansas State game is an elimination game this weekend. Um, Whoever wins that one is could very much, you know, vault themselves into that top four conversation. Oregon hasn't really played uh, the meat of its well, some of its schedule, but I think there's still teams to be played on Oregon's schedule that could either knock them off, or, or teams that in general um, could help their their cause. Another facing Utah this week, um, in a game that really could uh, give them a boost. Uh, Michigan State, if they beat Ohio State, there's there's nobody left that. I can really compete with them um, in the Big Ten, and you know Michigan. I, I'm not sure even at 11 and one, 12 and one, if if a Michigan State team that wins its conference um, can vault into that top four. To be honest, which is which yeah, is no, I agree. Tall. It depends on what happens in the SEC, right? I mean, if if I'm looking the last, I've watched. You know, we watched a lot of college football this year. I like the story of Mississippi State. Love it. I still don't. I, I just don't know if they're going to be able to keep going throughout the whole season. I think they're going to have one or two losses here and there. They're going to get caught by someone, uh, and it, it's going to hurt them in the rankings. Uh, obviously, you know, Florida State, They just as long as they went out there all right and they, they got the road to do that, I don't see anybody tripping them up. Uh, Auburn, obviously, they got, you know, they got – they have to go through a gauntlet. Oregon's probably okay, right? I mean, they're looking at their schedule. I mean, things happen at Utah this week, uh, which could trip them up. But 
Uh, seems like they always have that one game, and they kind of write the ship here and there. But uh, I would, so I would say, if I'm a betting man, I would say Florida State and Auburn, or Florida State and Oregon, are going to be in the top two, and then it, Michigan sliding in there, depending on what they do, uh, is all. I mean, they're the only the big Big Ten's only hope. Uh, so they want everybody in the Big Ten wants them to run the table. Uh, but look, I mean, I don't think Ohio State's going to have the resume to get up there. I, I think Michigan State's uh, game again earlier in the season against Oregon is really going to get them kudos with with, uh, with the committee because they played right with or you know they they gave them <laughs> the fight of their lives and then they got whooped up on in the end of the game. But uh, yeah, looking through it, just I think as long as Florida State Oregon run the table, they're in the end. Uh, but, man, if there's a couple one losses here and there, it could be really exciting at the end. And that's one thing about this, this playoff thing that I really like uh, is it does set up a lot of elimination games as we move through in the final weeks. Well, there's, what, four or five weeks left. So as we move through the season, uh, you know, we can expand We can expand the, the playoff system if you want to, but honestly – the playoffs start now. I mean, these teams have to continue to win, and other teams are, if they knock them off, then they're pretty much eliminated. If you keep losing, you're probably not going to continue. And I, I like this setup. It's just up for a lot of good football in a lot of exciting times. But I like it. Yeah, I think the elimination games are really the big, big thing that, that people who were, you know, harping against the playoff really forgot about. Um, talk about the, the importance of of the regular season still. I mean, looking down the top four, um, if these four went out, um, these four will be your uh, your, your four playoff teams. Um, but, you know, there, at this point, there, there's, there is no threat for, uh, for three SEC teams because Alabama has to face both Mississippi State and Auburn, and no matter what happens in those games, teams are going to drop um, again, you have the right. TCU Kansas State game. I mean, TCU could potentially win out, though. Um, so this is where Oregon kind of has to hope that one, that one Pac-12 South team really, really establishes itself. Because if those teams cannibalize one another, and Oregon faces, you know, a seven and two, six and three uh, UCLA, Arizona State, Arizona team in that Pac-12 championship game. While TCU stands at at, at eleven and one, but with the only loss being a last second um, defeat to Baylor on the road, um, I'm not sure that Oregon gets in over that TCU team even with a win there. Um, oh, I don't know. I if I'm the if I'm on the committee, I don't. I've watched enough TCU this year. I've watched enough Oregon here and there uh, to know. I just I even if TCU you run the table. They're going to need some help uh, from like a Florida State if they lose here, you know, to get in if they run the table. I just don't see it uh, that the committee is saying, all right, TCU, because they just had so many close games and so many games where uh, they've given up so many points and the defense is terrible. <laughs> Big 12, though, Big 12 football, slide football all around. Uh, I know the uh, the older folks don't like it, but it is fun to watch on TV, at least. Yeah, I've had a lot of fun with it. I mean, granted, like, I'm not watching ACC football. I'm a Pac-12 guy, obviously, because I'm in the time zone, so it's super easy. But, 
And those late-night Pac-12 games have always been fantastic. I think, you know, I, I agree. I think TCU has some knocks on them. But right now, um, like, what would you think about Kansas State? Kansas State wins out. That would be an undefeated conference record. The only loss being to Auburn, who would probably be a playoff game. Um, I mean, is that a team that if they went out there, yeah, that's, I mean, they, I, I would say they could jump over Oregon? Well, yeah, because if they won the table, they have, they've beaten TCU, West Virginia, Kansas, and Baylor. I mean, I mean, I tell them, if they win out with those four victories, because they have TCU, like I said, TCU, West Virginia, Kansas, Baylor in the next four games, if they win those, I mean, it's, and they, they go undefeated in the Big 12, uh, it's, that'd be almost impossible to keep them out, right? Yeah, I mean, and and that's kind of where <laughs> Oregon should get worried. But they're only lost coming to Auburn. Yeah, I, I think that I think that Oregon would get royally screwed there, which would be unfortunate for them. But I mean, the only time, the only way Oregon State is in the playoff if Kansas State wins out is if um, if Auburn loses. Um, if Auburn loses one of its remaining games, uh, and by then the way, that Auburn, kind of becomes... Auburn's schedule is Texas A&M this week, Georgia, Samford, and Suns, uh, and then Alabama at the end of the year, so in the Iron Bowl. So then, you're, I mean, at this point, you're thinking that they're going to beat Texas A&M and Georgia well, that's the Todd Gurley game, right? Todd Gurley gets back, I believe, for that Auburn yeah. game. Yeah, that's the so, Gurley game. Which is if Auburn wins that game. I mean, but then, obviously, the elimination game is the Alabama game. So, uh, I mean, that would probably do it for them. And what's the Mississippi State guy? Yeah, yeah, a lot of good things going on, really. Yeah, oh. here's what I'm saying. Like, if Mississippi State wins out, Alabama beating Auburn doesn't do anything for Alabama. Also knocks Auburn off the pedestal, which would then hurt Kansas State's win over them, which might keep Oregon in. But on top of that, could also end up having, would probably have Kansas State end up in anyway at number four. So Oregon would move up to three. Um, and I think Michigan State gets, Michigan State's the team that could step on there because it would have, Virtually no quality wins, one quality loss um, to Oregon, um, and, and they'd be they'd definitely be the odd man out. Well, Mississippi State has the powerhouse of UT Martin this week, and then their essentially their playoff game is going to be the Alabama game because if they beat Alabama, uh, then, then it doesn't matter what happens. Right, they're more likely going to knock off Vanderbilt, no problem. And then, but even if they lose to Ole Miss on the road, rivalry game, they're still in there. They have, They'll still they be in the and they beat Alabama on the road. Right, they'd still so be in the ACC, SEC title game in that case, anyway. Right, with one loss. Right. So I mean, yeah, I mean that's the Alabama game is huge for them. So yeah. They win, if they win the Alabama game, they're in, unless they lose to Ole Miss and they lose the uh, SEC championship game. Yeah, it depends on who's the SEC. Yeah, but if the SEC championship game, who's the divisions there? So it's either going to be 
Oh, they play in the same division, so. Right, so they, they have play, to be there, like, it's yeah, probably like Missouri. Mean, they're not losing in the ACC, the SEC championship game, I don't think. Anyway. No, I mean, I don't think so either, but, but, but if it happens, <laughs> I mean, if it happens, you could potentially look at a playoff with, with zero SEC teams. Oh, if, man. If they lost to Ole Miss. If they lost to Ole Miss and they lost to, and they lost to um, whoever wins that East, because no SEC East team is going to be ranked high enough. No, I agree. There's no way. But could you imagine the hellfire from the South if uh, if that were to transpire and you had the first playoff be Florida State, Oregon, Kansas State, and Michigan State? That would be awesome. Oh, my gosh. It wouldn't be awesome from the standpoint of, like, you probably wouldn't have the best teams there, but just the way the things played out, like, all the SEC just is like, oh, we're the SEC, we're the greatest thing ever, which, you know, SEC football is a lot of fun to watch. But in the end, yeah, you're all awesome, and you're all killing each other, and you're all hurting each other to get into the national championship playoff race. Uh, so that's what's going to happen. So, yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, and that's the thing, too, is, like, if everyone beats kind of each other the next four weeks in the SEC, you know, how is the committee going to determine, like, the one SEC team that's going to go in? So, like, you can't, not. right? You have to, you have to keep a, you have to we Sorry. Sorry, folks. I guess we take your champion, I guess. Like, right? Maybe? Uh, honestly, I, it would take a lot of effort, but the but the, the playoff committee would would just drop. Like, if, if there were if there were one-loss conference champions available... And I think that would be Florida State, Oregon, Kansas State, Michigan State, and no, and every single SEC team had at least two losses. I I just don't know how. I don't know how an SEC team jumps one of those schools if they've all won conference titles and they're all sitting there. I mean, I could see how they'd finish ahead of Notre Dame, but I don't see how they'd finish ahead of those four schools. Yeah. It's gonna be fun. I like them all. And everybody's locking out. These rankings keep coming out like it's too early. I like it because it just. I mean, the the only reason why they do it is because it sparks the discussion and keeps them in the media, which is exactly what you want to happen. So, I mean, we're talking about it, and I like talking about it. It's fun. I think the one the one team outside of probably the top, I'm gonna say top twelve because I'm gonna include Ole Miss and Baylor here as potential okay. I think the one team outside of the the top 12 that can still get themselves into the playoff is Duke. <laughs> like, oh, that's like, true. So like, like, legitimately, like, if Duke wins out, Duke is playing his head playoff. God, their schedule's so bad. I don't think they would have been. Yeah, I mean, you're right. In the sense, well, you're right. If Chaos and well, the would be they bad, out. The would be bad. It'd be bad with a Florida State with a Florida State win on on a neutral field, on right? As well, they would they would definitely have a case, but I don't know if that would happen. It's, that's like a worst case scenario for the ACC, right? I mean, we all don't like the roots. I mean, I don't mind rooting for Florida State, whatever. Uh, Albert, I'm because they're ACC, and I actually don't mind the fan base. And Jameis Winston's a kind of a punk, but whatever. Uh, at least I got somebody to root for. I can root for him, but man, it's, yeah, Florida State loses the ACC uh, championship game. Oh man, 
no one's really happy doing that. I mean that that would be that would be the the wrench in the gears to end all wrenches. <laughs> uh, <laughs> gotta get that gotta get that whole money. <laughs> yeah, I, I I don't think it's I don't think it's a lock, but I, I do think it, if you're looking at a twelve and one Duke team and and if you have some SEC losses, a twelve and one Duke team is at least on the cusp of going to the playoffs. And either way. Florida State and Duke are playing in um, money bowls, without a doubt. I'm looking up Duke football national championship odds. Let's see if we can find it. Future odds. Uh, I don't even know if this is updated. Duke. What do you all, man? Have you looked this up? Yeah, look it up. Oh no, I missed. What do you think right now? Duke's national championship odds are because they're they're uh, they're they're on they're on VegasInsider.com. Uh, hundred to one. Hundred and fifty to uh, one. Hmm. You're gonna lay down a hundred bucks on Duke to win the national title, right, Joe? Honestly, if I was going to Vegas this weekend, I probably would. <laughs> <laughs> Just to see if no, I'll always, there. The last two times I chickened out of a bet in Vegas, I I really angry about it. I was gonna I put down a hundred. No, I was gonna put down a hundred on my Rangers last year to uh, to make the Stanley Cup. Um, with uh, I think it was nine to two odds. Mm-hmm. And, and and I chickened out. And then back in 2011, yeah, 2011, I chickened out on putting 100 bucks down on the Seahawks to beat the Saints in in the wild card playoff. And that was the year the Seahawks were seven and nine, and Marshawn Lynch had the beast mode game. Okay. So yeah, so I'm never chickening. I'm never chickening out of a bet like that again. <laughs> By the way, I will tell you that I remember last week on Twitter I tweeted out the my parlay picks, and then you said the one game that you had different. Uh, I think actually it wasn't this week; maybe it was the week prior. The one game that you had different would have been a winner, so you would have won my fourteen parlay because you agreed with the three of the picks, and the one pick you didn't agree with would have been the winner. So I've gone six and two the last last two weeks. I actually done really good the last two weeks, but. It's the parlays that keep getting me keep missing it by one. I always pick the wrong. I know we did a couple different parlays, and I was in Vegas for the uh, for the NCAA tournament this past year, and I just like there were two different times that I had uh, cards that I was I was going five I was going five games, and both times my fifth game came up bust. Not fun. Well, you know your college, but I think we should probably wrap this up. But uh, yeah, it should be fun. It will be interesting this week. We're leaving it to basketball. We're getting the basketball next week, though, right? Yeah, next week we actually we're going to do two. Well, we might end up just doing one. If, if we like lose to Duke and it's embarrassing and we just kind of want to walk away, we're only going to do one <laughs> podcast. <laughs> just a preview like, of the basketball season. 
So, yeah, no, I'm excited. Yeah, I'll have my guards preview coming out, uh, which should be today, if you're listening to the podcast on Wednesday. Uh, and then we'll crank out, I'll start cranking out all the, the forwards and centers and all that good stuff. Uh, pretty, I'm looking at a lot of in-depth stuff, so I've been reading a lot. And then, obviously, the game on. The one thing I do in the previews is I didn't really want to do a preview until I saw them play Carlton, because it's really, you really don't know the starting lineups, and you really don't know, like, I hadn't seen anybody play yet. Uh, and Carlton was a pretty good test to see, like, what guys look at look look like during at least decent competition. Uh, so that was kind of nice to have uh, going into doing all the preview stuff and kind of getting people amped up for the basketball season. So looking forward for that uh, today and then the rest of the week. Uh, yeah, it's another exhibition game, and then the first game is the following week. So here we go, folks. NSF State. Yeah, baby. All right, so on that note, uh, we can wrap up over here. Uh, that was Jared. I'm John. Uh, thanks, everyone, for tuning in to Troy Noons as an absolute podcast. Uh, it another fun hour or so of uh, football, Tom Coolery, and we uh, thank you for listening, and please do so again next week. Um, and also be sure to, you know, like or favorite or subscribe or rate or do whatever. Just say nice things about us in places. And, uh, yeah, see you next week. Go Orange. Gorge. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. Huge savings on new and previously leased furnishings. That's right, huge savings. At Court Furniture Clearance Center, choose from our wide variety of new and previously leased furniture and decor for your home or office. You'll find sofas from $199.99 and more. Everything in our 9,000-square-foot showroom is Court-certified, guaranteed, and in stock, ready for delivery or to take home today. Visit our Chantilly Court Furniture Clearance Center at 13946 Lee Jackson Memorial Highway or go online at courtclearancefurniture.com. Mention Radio 20 and get 20% off.